This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey, Brewers fans, thanks for checking in with us. Another episode of Brewers Unfiltered. We are checking in from... Los Angeles, California. The Brewers have hit the road here, the last three-city road trip of the season, and uh, fortunately, it's been off to a good start for them. So good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to us. Uh, It's Sophia, Adam McAlvey, Tim Dillard here with you for another week. And guys, good news. Uh, The Brewers got through their weekend series against the Chicago White Sox, got a series sweep, against the White Sox, enjoyed a nice off day here in L.A., and that wraps up a stretch of the schedule for them against non-contending teams, meaning teams below 500, and with that sweep, they go 8-5 and five in that stretch of 13 games, and that's a good thing that they did that because here come the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Texas Rangers, two first-place teams. So when you're looking at the White Sox series, I think the headline here is, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta lined up for a series. They covered 18 innings, seven runs allowed between them in those three games, and 17 strikeouts between the three of them. So to me, I think that's the headline, right? If you're a Brewers fan, that should that should fire you up to see those three lined up together again. Yeah, and that's with Corbin Burns, maybe not at peak Corbin Burns. Um, I, to me, the two things that stand out are Brandon Woodruff continuing to build the pitch count. And the confidence, I'm sure. He was super efficient in his outing, but took another step forward on the pitch count. And I think, uh, to me, you you are pretty sure what you're going to get from Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. I think Freddie Peralta has been a, a little wild card this year because he's coming off the injuries last season and just not having that base of innings. So I think his, not just the White Sox start, but his run of starts recently have been Super encouraging. He's just on a stretch where he's delivering innings every time out. They're quality innings. We've seen a little bit more of the big strikeout numbers. You know, since the start of uh, July, he's got three double-digit strikeout games, including a pair where he tied his record at 13. He's We, we talked about this, stuck on 13 is his career high. But but to me, like, the, the fact that he is sort of easily carving through innings to the extent you can do that in the big leagues – is a really good sign of health that he's reached this kind of dog days of August in a good place. And I think that's of all of this stuff, even, you know, Brandon Woodruff coming back is obviously encouraging, but I kind of have Freddie circled right now as a really important guy for this stretch run. Yeah. I I think Brandon Woodruff was, you see the pitch count going up, you see the velocity coming back 97. He's maintaining that. Um, the strikeout numbers, he had five K's last time out, but, um, I think you're right. I think the Freddie Peralta thing, he has turned a corner. He has, I think it was an up and down left, right BA select start for the first half or so of the season. But you look at his last four starts, um, something has changed and it's, he's throwing more strikes. He's, he's just doing that. Whether it was a mechanical thing or maybe it was a sequencing issue. I have no idea, but somebody told him, throw your stuff over the plate. And he's doing that, and he's dominating. So I think when you start building up this many starts, it's not a, it's no longer a you know a left and right thing. It's it's not a fluke. It's not a is he going to be what's what are we going to get next time? We're starting to see consistency and um, confidence comes with that. What you got? Was that Mike Tyson's punch out or was that Contra? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's Konami code, right? Like that's, I, well, I just I get carried away. <laughs> not you. His, his, yeah, yeah. His, his, you know, his starts were, you know, you would get a gem and next time out he couldn't find the plate and he'd walk four and give up some doubles. And you're like, what is happening? Um, and I think he was trying to find it. And I think he did. And what a better time too to have these guys all kind of together again, healthy 
and now going deep into ball games with Woodruff. I, I mean, it's what you saw in Chicago is is hopefully what you're going to see when they start lining those guys up for a series. Every one of those gentlemen can put you in a chance to win a ball game, and with an offense that's doing pretty well right now, I mean that's that's good. The only bad news is they're facing the Dodgers and Rangers coming up, yeah, and then the Twins, you know, who oh, are another twins. contender back home. So two gamer against the Twins. So definitely the schedule has gone from one extreme to the other really quickly. Yeah, I think you know getting this group back together is obviously you know, essential. They are the anchors of this team, no doubt, you know, and, and we talked to Craig about that specifically with Freddie of like health being such a big story for him this year. He and Corbin being the only two that have made every start here this season. And, you know, you want to like knock on all the wood, all the things uh, whenever you talk about health of starting pitchers. But, you know, we asked Craig about that for him to be pitching at this level at this point in the season, considering his shoulder injuries last year and how much time he missed only pitching in 18 games. It was only 78 innings for him last year. Craig pointed out that even in his 2021 All-Star season, arguably his best of his career, he, there was some fatigue that was starting to set in for him at at this point, right? Dog days of August and you're over 20 starts and you're over 100 innings. And, and again, knock on all the things, we're not seeing any signs of that with Freddie. Um, it was six scoreless for him against Chicago. The six strikeouts for him, just three walks. That's always a big story for him, you know, limiting the walks, the wildness that Tim was talking about. So um, all of that is huge for them. And, and we've talked about this, what the team's coming up here on the road trip. The Dodgers, as we're starting this series here on Tuesday, um, as we're recording this, they're coming in having won eight straight. They're already over 70 wins on the season. They've got a huge lead in the National League West. Their run differential is plus 136 and then you've got the texas rangers um they're also over 70 wins here on the season they've got a lead over the houston astros and the american league west their run differential is even better they're again as we're starting here on tuesday they're sitting at plus 193 i mean these are offenses that can put up some big big numbers so um you know, for as good as the pitching staff has been, it's great to get them all back to full strength. This this is definitely going to be a test for them here this week facing L.A. and Texas. No doubt about it. And both teams that are not surprisingly because they're good teams, very good at home. The Dodgers are 38 and 20 at home and the Rangers have a, a even more extreme home road. They're 41 and 20 at home, 30 and 28 on the road. So, you know, they they because they have good offenses, maybe. They're very good when they have those last ups. And and I would just say, like, we're in a great stretch of the schedule for scoreboard watching, if you're into that sort of thing, because as the Brewers clear this, you know, quote-unquote soft spot of the schedule and get into this very difficult stretch, the Cubs are going into what they're probably looking at as a chance to do some damage. And I always throw out the, Tim, you, you know this too, like, you get into trouble in baseball when you talk about this. This is not like the NFL where you go into a stretch of four games where you know you're going to win those four. You don't know in baseball because it just all depends on how you're playing, how the other team's playing, one bad bounce, whatever, all those things. But the Cubs' next series are two at home against the White Sox, three at home against the Royals, then a week-long road trip to Detroit and Pittsburgh before a really big series to close the month of August at Wrigley Field between the Brewers and Cubs the last time they'll see each other until the very last series of the season in Milwaukee. So the Cubs have two weeks here where they on paper have an opportunity to, you know, pile up some wins. And I think as the Brewers go into this stretch, you know, it's just really important that they play their good brand of baseball, which they've been, you know, they certainly did in Chicago in this, in this past series. So keep that rolling and, and, pick up a couple of wins against these really good teams and you'll you'll be in good shape because they built themselves a little cushion the three and a half games is their biggest lead in the division all year well one one thing too is that you start looking at this entire season it's just been nl central team after nl central team just not taking advantage of the brewers not doing well like the brewers would go on a tough stretch and then boom the pirates go on a tough stretch after they were hot and then the Brewers do well again, and then they go on a tough stretch. Boom, Reds can't gain any ground. I mean, you just see it over and over and over again, the pattern. So if the Brewers do go through a rough patch right here with some tough teams, um, I mean, maybe the Cubs won't take advantage that we've already seen. But the Cubs are really, like, surging at the moment to, to some degree. 
um, and the and the Pirates have fallen off. The Reds are three and seven in their last ten. Uh, the Cubs are six and four. So I mean they're they're collecting some wins, but at the same time, is it sustainable? That's what we've seen the Brewers do this entire season. Even that at full strength with a lot of injuries, they are still sustaining their wins. One of nine teams with sixty five plus wins. So uh, yeah, I, I it, it, are the Cubs going to be able to keep this thing going? Who knows? Well, I, I mean, I think. I think you're totally right, Adam. Like, it's easy for fans to look at these stretches of the schedule and try to pinpoint, well, they should do this. They they need to do this. That, you know, it's yeah. – and, and we just know, you know, baseball just doesn't work that way. So, again, just to point out that stretch, they did go 8-5, and five, right? And, and so you can say that, like, they arguably did their job. They won enough series, um, obviously got off to a tough start with the, the – series loss in Washington. They bounce back. They split the series against the Pirates. They win the series at home against the Rockies, and now they're coming off of a sweep against the White Sox. So I think you can, if you're a fan, I think you can say, like, look, they, they did their job, right? They they did enough to get through that stretch. And again, the division lead now, three and a half games, which is the biggest for any team in the National League Central, which just shows kind of what a wild ride <laughs> this this division has been all season long and um yeah i think you know we're going to be scoreboard watching the rest of the way and i think we're going to hear from craig council and the players um as much as we already do like it's just continuing to stack up series wins right just continue to win series you know you've got six huge games left against the cubs um one at wrigley and one at home so it's gonna be fun we'll we'll keep watching but uh we've got a very special guest here on brewers unfiltered we can't wait to uh tell you more about someone who will be making a return to Milwaukee for a very special honor uh, coming up Saturday the 26th against the San Diego Padres. So stick around. We'll let you know our special guest here on Brewers Unfiltered. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're back here on Brewers Unfiltered, Adam, Tim, and Sophia, and we're here to introduce a very special guest, a, a fan favorite, and I know it's someone that uh, we're all really looking forward to seeing back in Milwaukee, and it is Ben Sheets. He is going to be inducted into the 2023 Walk of Fame that will be coming up Saturday, August 26th. The Brewers will be playing the San Diego Padres, 6-10 game, so make sure you get your tickets. Come see uh, Ben Sheets. It's going to be great, of course. Um you know, drafted in 1999, eight years in Milwaukee, four all-star appearances, all kinds of records until these guys, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta came along uh, and spoiled the party for Ben Sheets, but but arguably one of the best pitchers um, to wear a Brewers uniform. And uh, Adam and Tim, I know um, as you guys were doing this interview, maybe you can give us a little behind the scenes of the Ben Sheets podcast experience because... Um, I heard it was a unique one, and maybe fans would appreciate uh, what it took to get this podcast done with Ben. Well, number one, <clears throat> number one, I'm surprised that we even got him. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was surprised that he knew how to use a phone long enough for this to happen, uh, but I'm glad it did. It's it's good. <laughs> well, yeah, he was in Cary, North Carolina to visit USA Baseball, and he did it from a restaurant patio it looked like <laughs> at one point he went patio. at one point he went inside the restaurant because his phone was dying so he plugged in but i i pictured him next to a hostess stand talking to us the palm of his hand oh he stared into the palm of his hand for a solid 15 <laughs> 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 then he walked outside got in his car <laughs> but it's beautiful that's that's uh typical ben sheets he is who he is and he always was that way he threw two pitches and didn't apologize for it. He struck out a lot of guys and was a really good player who kind of like was the foundation piece of all the good stuff that happened um, starting in 2008. And, you know, we're going to see CC Sabathia as well on the day before Ben Sheets Walk of Fame. 
And Ben talked about how every year they added one piece and another piece and another piece. And, uh, you know, there were others who were in that group in the early, early 2000s, but he was kind of the dude on the pitching side. And the Brewers really needed that. Anybody who's followed the franchise in the 90s knows they were searching for a Ben Sheets for a really long time. And and he set the tone for a lot of good stuff that followed. So, yeah, he, he got hurt. Injuries were an issue. But, man, when that guy was on the mound, and he was on the mound a lot, he was really good. Yeah, you got to love the transparency that comes across in this interview of just uh, him getting into the game, what it was like being in the game, and then some disappointment at times. So yeah, um, I don't know. I, it, it's it's really good. There's some humor in there. Hopefully, we one day we'll do video so we can just see the kind of comical carnival that it was to try to just <laughs> wrangle. Uh, it's like herding cats out there. That's what it felt like on this on this interview. But yeah, it's good. Well, Ben Sheets will become the 22nd individual to go into the Brewers Walk of Fame. Certainly a very deserving honor for Ben. He is still second in franchise history in strikeouts, 1,206. Top five in starts, innings pitched, sixth in wins. Uh, Certainly an incredible resume that he put together in Milwaukee. Enjoy this conversation with Ben Sheets. Okay, we are here on the Brewers Unfiltered podcast with a four-time All-Star, the only Brewers pitcher to start an all-star game, second in franchise history with 1,206 strikeouts, starting with, do you know, sir, before I name you, who's number one strikeout for you in your career? Me? Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, I, I guess know. there's two. Gallardo, huh? I'm, who's, who, who is the first batter you struck out? Ooh. Um... Was it okay, well, Jeff Bagwell? It was Jeff Bagwell. Oh, you got it. That's very no. good. Okay, third in franchise history with 221 starts. Of course, you heard his voice, and you know we're talking to Ben Sheets. So, Ben, thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be here. We're talking to you because on Saturday, August 26th, you're going to be in Milwaukee to be inducted into the Brewers Walk of Fame, which is the highest honor you can get from the organization. And you join a list of luminaries, uh, including a couple of your teammates. I think the, the teammates who are in it are Prince Fielder and Jeff Jenkins. And I wrote down Bob Euchre, too, because he counts as, as he uh, count. all eras. Absolutely. Um, and you're going to throw a first pitch that day. Are you going to throw a curveball? Absolutely. <laughs> but it's, it's going to bounce. It's going to bounce halfway. <laughs> and hopefully somebody swings at it. Who do you want to catch it? Who do you want to catch it? I think one of my boys is going to catch it or try to catch it. I got confidence in them though. They probably caught the most balls from me, so I feel like they can do it. That's awesome. Oh, God, I hope you spike one. We'll take see a fist fight at the um, home plate before to see which one. <laughs> Breaking the pool stick. All right, who wants to catch first pitch? Hey, second highest honor, because let's not forget them dudes that got their numbers retired. That would be the highest honor. Okay, that's actually very uh, – that, that's true. That probably is a – I'm very pleased with it, I'm saying. It's, it, I told somebody earlier today, I said it's the biggest honor that I can get with my career, so I'm ecstatic. Well, we love uh, – I always love the self-deprecating version of Ben Sheets, so I'm looking forward to hearing that again. It's been a little while. Um, ben, are you going to like – are you going to make a speech that day? Sometimes there's a little speech involved. I hope not. Uh, I mean, one thing, I mean, I'm so thankful and I, I mean, I'm sure I'll say something, but that's not my, that's not my cup of tea is I like to talk a lot, but when it comes to speaking in front of anybody and especially about anything, maybe with that myself did or something like that, it becomes awkward real quick for me. Well, good. This is a audio only podcast. So you're not really in front of anybody, just us for now. All right, we look great, though. So we I mean, do. I wish, they, I wish they could see what we see. <laughs> you look like you're underwater with this angle with your phone, and I think you have your wife's phone, right? That's what it popped no, I up. I got my phone, but it's your, yeah. I don't know why it shows up under that. Probably because I'm probably too stupid to set it up. So, <laughs> I mean, well, ben, I let's go back. It uh... is an iPhone one and a half, though, so it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Ben, let's go back uh, to the beginning and talk a little bit about your career, if you don't mind, because I love your baseball story, and, and we get 
to talk to some of the players, current and former on here. And I, I think people enjoy kind of hearing where the guys came from because they see them every day on their TVs and they see them, you know, from the stands. And, you know, hearing your beginnings is always really interesting. So your beginnings were in Ascension Parish, Louisiana. Your parents were well drillers, right? Absolutely. Well, my mom didn't drill a well, <laughs> but my dad was and she worked for him. Correct. And, you know, like, I remember talking to you about this. You played baseball because you liked it and were good at it. And it, like, was pretty simple. I still, I mean, I, I told the story today. I still, that's what I miss most. I don't miss all the traveling or visiting cities or even the clubhouse at times. I, I like to play. Like, that's why I played. I played baseball because I liked it. I played sports because I liked them. And I still love sports, you know. Um and that's kind of how it got started. I mean, it wasn't – I mean, we didn't play for – I mean, and that's probably more of the time and era, too. We didn't have pro teams. We didn't play to play football or even college. Like, there was no ulterior motive, no extra goal. It was just rec, rec ball season. It was time to go play, and you played football, baseball, and basketball. And was baseball also always your best sport? Like, were you a pretty good basketball player and football player? I, nah, I sucked at football. I threw it to the wrong team. Colorblind, though. I figured it out. I was colorblind at quarterback. I didn't know what uniform was mine. I thought it was, I thought it was impressive to throw it far, but I always threw it to the wrong team. And nobody thought to, like, check this out beforehand? Or like... they, let me, they let me keep quarterback until eighth grade. And ninth, they told me, we need a quarterback. I'm like, hell, we needed a quarterback the last eight years. Like, <laughs> So I quit. I didn't play no more after eighth grade. Um, basketball is probably my, my favorite sport. That was what I did the most. Um, you know, six foot don't get you very far in that, you know, and baseball, I was always a good pitcher, but never the dominant guy. I was always just kind of the league pitcher and I'd always have a good season. But when all-star came, I was always like the bench sitter and, you know, watched everybody else play. And then I'd get like that last inning because you had to play. So, but I mean, I wasn't a bad player, but wasn't a very good player either. Well, you must have must have been doing something right. <laughs> I mean, to get looked at. I, I looked made the all star when I was young. I did that, but I mean, as I got older, you know, um, one day I was throwing eighty one. The next day I was throwing eighty eight. Like three weeks later, they're like, "What you do?" I didn't do anything. I didn't lift. I didn't run. I didn't. I didn't do anything. I don't. I don't have no idea. I guess I tell people the people you see on TVs really probably touched at birth. There, there's a reason they're there. I mean. I don't feel like you could really – hard work can get you places. I think it can get you to college maybe, but I, I just don't believe the dudes we see on TV, it's because of just, just – where they are great workers, but they are they are the cream of the crop pretty much ability-wise pretty much all their life. They've been, they've been different. They've been outliers. And um, even, even coaching, I see that, that normally if you got that naturally good player, like he's normally just the best player all the way through. You know, now if you got a kid that was average to below average, then you get to twelve and he hits puberty and he's the best player. That's different because he's just stronger, bigger than everybody, and it, it evens back out. But them dudes we see on TV, I mean, I don't know. They're just they're different. They're good. Like we can critique them all we want. They're super good. Ben, when did that jump happen for you? The eighty-one to eighty-eight. Well, I threw my that junior year through my the state championship. It took them forever to give me an opportunity. My freshman year, I didn't pitch an inning. Sophomore year, I didn't pitch an inning. Junior year, I didn't pitch till they tried everybody in JV, everybody on the team, every position player. And I don't think he wanted to pitch me because I was a basketball player, so I'd come out a little late. And when he pitched, I gave I ended up giving up one iron run in 27 innings that year, and I still remember because it was my opportunity. And I threw a three-hitter in the finals in the 5A, our biggest classification. And I was like 78 to 80, you know, maybe touched 81. But I always could pitch. I could throw a breaking ball. always had that. I always located through the ball where I want it pretty well. But I didn't throw hard, you know. And, I, I mean, speed's an infatuation. Everybody wants high velocity. And, I mean, I guess it goes all the way down, even to when you're younger kids. And so I pitched state championship. And then, like, we start Legion ball three weeks later. And all of a sudden, I'm just throwing gas. Like, I have no idea how or why or. No re I mean, there was no reason for, for what happened. 
And then after that day, the more I pitched, the more I started developing. It was like 87 to start, then like maybe 90 to end the summer, then 92 in high school baseball the next year, then like 96 or 97 the next senior summer. You know, and then I got to college. They had some pro offers. I didn't even know they – at the end of Legion, they asked me if I was interested in signing. Well, hell, I didn't know what that meant. Like I tell you, I just played <laughs> baseball. I could – when I brought my ULM or Northeast Louisiana at the time, my, after my junior summer, my start of my senior year, offered me a scholarship. And I remember bringing it to my coach. And we had a good relationship, but he's like, they offered you this? They offered me half, which is a pretty good scholarship. He's like, he don't even ask questions. He's like, you need to take this. Well, hell, I mean, it was the first one I got, you know, really. <laughs> so I took that. But by the end, by the end of that next Legion summer, you know, I had some pro offers because it didn't matter who I faced. You know, I was normally the best pitcher in the ballpark, even if they had first-rounders, third-rounders, didn't matter. You know, um, if somebody got two hits, and this was in the drop-five era, which was insanity, if you let grown men or kids use drop-fives, I mean, that's not even a – that's dangerous at the end of the day, you know. And um, I, they couldn't hit it with that, and that's when I started realizing, man, I'm pretty good, like, you know. Well, they got me on campus, and then I got better each year each year, a day or two, you know, and went to the U.S. trials. And I tell the story all the time because I'm here in Cary right now and going to meet with the U.S. guy, Siler, later. But um, <laughs> he cut me once and I always remind him of it. And he's like, well, I cut Mike Trout too. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. And I'll tell him that again. But, um, you know, it's just been a steady rise. But I guess that's when I realized I was pretty good just slowly. To fill in the blanks there, just for people listening, you're talking about Paul Seiler, who's headed USA Baseball for 100 million years and was obviously involved when you uh, were part of Team USA, which I think Brewers fans remember because, you know, for a lot of us, me, myself included, Ben, I was in the stands there. Our introduction to you when we, we met you was the, the finale at, at County Stadium. Um, when you came back with your gold medal around your neck after uh, beating Cuba in, in maybe the greatest game ever for American amateur baseball. Well, you know, two, two or three years before that, when college, when I was there, I threw a hell of a game at 9 a.m. in an inter-squad game. <laughs> so you're saying that's the, that's the second to, to Cuba? Paul must have had his eyes closed in that game, you know, and <laughs> he bit me to the cape, so I mean – um, this was probably my second greatest USA baseball game. No, it was it was quite a ride. And, you know, it's still great running into them guys. And, I mean, that was total team. If you look back at the or read the book, you'll realize how much – I get a lot of credit. I really do for it. But you'll realize how much each and every one of them guys on that roster had something to do with that gold medal run. Well, in that famous photo, too, you had a famous photo, right, on the front of a newspaper. It sat in the clubhouse forever. It's probably still – well, they tore down the clubhouse. But I bet that picture's still somewhere. It better it better be somewhere. <laughs> I mean, you know, damn, I mean, that thing – that iconic. I mean, you know, Paul's talking about putting a statue up here in Cary of that iconic picture. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, Ben. Ben, how did that go? Because let, let's go back again. The Brewers drafted you 10th overall in 1999. So when you when you went to the Olympics, that was in 2000. You know, you're you're in the. I mean, you had didn't even have, you had one year of a full season in the minors in the books. Like this is at the very beginning of your career. How did um, how how did that come together? And was that like an easy yes to 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 go do that to go to go pitch in the Olympics? It was the first year that they used pros in it. So after my college, which we didn't have a Olympics in college, I thought, man, that wasn't my shot to play for that. But it, we didn't even have Olympics. And I was like, all right, I got drafted. I'm never going to play. And then they decided on that. So it was just a process that they kind of started with players and started narrowing it down. And people would get called up and X off the list. And um, I wanted I, when they started, I wanted to be involved because I wasn't in the big leagues. And it sounded cool, you know, and – some people ended up going to the big leagues and some of us went to USA. But I mean, looking back, I mean, even if I'd have spent September in Milwaukee, wouldn't have been near what that Olympic opportunity was. Well, going back to getting with the Brewers, I looked it up. We have, we have the same scout, Jonathan Story. Um, yeah, he had that whole, you know, South region, you in Louisiana, me in small town Mississippi. 
What when did he pop in? Because he just showed up at one of my high school games when I was a senior. So I was just I kind of I'm always interested on how you know players end up meeting their scout for the first time and seeing that relationship go. I'm not. I'm really not overly sure because I I, I come on the scene. I come on the scene pretty quick because I went to that USA tryout. <clears throat> but when I went to Cape, I just kind of I just kind of blew up out there. You know, and we played in front of a bunch of people. And how do they differentiate people? I mean, I'm looking now. I got kids. Like, everybody throws hard. Everybody's got a good breaking ball. What differentiates one from the other? I have no idea, you know. But um, thankfully, I was on the good side of what they thought, you know, even being a a shorter right-hand pitcher. And so, really, I mean, when they come in, I don't know because – the first time I can remember scouts coming was like 80 to 100 scouts, you know, at yeah. once. So I'm sure they trickled in throughout the year, but it all kind of just popped quickly. Ben, how did the – because you pitched in the Olympics, won the gold medal, and then the next spring you're in the big leagues. Did did the one thing, do you think, lead to the other? In other words, like did that experience in the Olympics and beating them, the mighty Cubans – you know, they seemed unbeatable in international play at that time. Um, propel you? I don't know. I think I just, looking back, I had so much confidence that <clears throat> a lot of stuff was happening so good. I had such a good year in college, and I was a first-rounder, and I had a good minor league run that I was had performed really well in. And then I went to the Olympics and performed well. So I guess looking back, when they moved you to the big leagues, I, I mean, I didn't have no – I really didn't have much hiccups, so I guess I didn't expect anything different other than just to go do the same thing. You make good pitches, you get people out. And I think a lot of it's a tribute to being young and dumb and you just don't you don't realize it, you know. And um, maybe when you realize it, it kind of goes backwards a little bit, you know. But, um, yeah, that would, be, that would be my biggest thing, I think, just confidence and so much success that it just – made you believe that or made me believe that I was that guy at the time. Did you have a a coach or maybe a teammate, somebody that you learned a lot from during that time that kind of guided you along the way? Um, I had a, my first pitching coach was, um, in college was Everett Russell. And he's now with the pirates. He's, he's in in the organization. I don't know what he does, but he's, moving on up and um he was the first time i ever like really had any instruction on what i'm doing up there um then i got the pro ball and i mean obviously you got some good guys along the way and um i think the first guy that really that i really meshed with was mike maddox you know because mm-hmm. he just gave me a i guess he gave me more of a plan he gave me i loved his game plans i loved how he you know could could really tell you how to get people out. And for me, even back then, I was about the uh, more about the number. Like, if you tell me you hit a breaking ball to 050, that's what I want to throw you. Like, you know, I don't want to throw you a fastball. Why even show it, you know, and make a mistake? Why not I just get you out with this? And I think that's kind of what they're doing in today's game is they're, they're pitching more to numbers and like, all right, you can't hit a slider. Well, here comes seven in a row, yeah. you know. Um so that was a big thing for me, Mike, and I still got a great relationship with him today. You know, I just I enjoyed how he went about stuff. Ben, can you tell the story about when he uh, tried to get you to throw a changeup? Um, <clears throat> funny, I said this one today too. Well, he, <laughs> he told me he calls me in one day. He goes, "Hey, man, like you got two pitches, but you need that third, man. I think you'd be shocked at how good your changeup changeup is. I think you'd really be shocked." And I'm, so we go and we look at video, we pull up the numbers, and they're seven for nine off my changeup. I'm like, you're right, I am shocked. They're like four homers. I'm like, I didn't realize it was this bad. Like it was a horrible pitch, you know. I mean, a big league pitcher you'd think would be able to – everybody feels like they're Superman and could do all this stuff, but I could never learn a, a third pitch. Like it was like I couldn't throw a slider, couldn't throw, couldn't throw a cutter, couldn't throw a split, couldn't throw a change. And y'all know, I mean, we try and we, we put every effort. Today's world's a little easier. Slow motion cameras, spin axes. I mean, like, that would be fun to tinker and it'd give you an idea if you're on the right track. But back then you threw it. And if it didn't feel right, you might have had the right spin. It just didn't work quite yet. 
and you might have had to spin it more. Now they say, all right, that's the right spin. Like that's the axis. Now that's the, if the more you spin it, it's going to take the shape you want. We didn't have all that. It was throw it and hope. And if it looked good, like <laughs> let's throw it. And if it didn't, you didn't throw it, you know? And I mean, like Wes Obermuller could work on a new pitch out in the outfield and then go throw it in the game. You know, it was just some people got the ability to spin the ball different ways. I could spin it one way. I could throw a regular pitch and I could throw a curveball, you know. So, And I say one way because, I mean, the curveball is the only way I could really manipulate it other than a normal throw. Well, we got Wes Obermuller in here, so that's a success. That was on my list to squeeze that name in. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't even think. Of, how many How many pitches – I mean, how many starting pitchers just throw two pitches? I mean, that's just got to be rare, right? I think Dwight Gooden did for some reason. Mm-hmm. He was pretty good. Yeah, he was okay. I mean, I heard about him. <laughs> I heard he was all right. Ben, um, you're, uh, you're, I was looking at your big league debut, uh, Ben, because this is another thing I remember talking to you about. It's like, you know, you're, for you, your career, your success happened, you know, pretty fast. You were an all-star, your, you know, your first season, which is, uh, doesn't happen every day. But, you know, at the, at the start of that year, you, you took a couple lumps. And I, I actually was looking at your big league debut. It was in Houston. Uh, five earned, six hits, six, six innings is pretty good for your debut. Craig Biggio was the first batter you faced. He hit a single. And then, as you said, Jeff Bagwell was the first strikeout. And then you, you did because they just probably, what, because of off days, you got sent down after two games. Well, I pitched pretty good the second game. Not great, but, I mean, I went six. I think gave up three. And then I got sent down because they want to – Keep the other four on, you know, we had them big four. You want to keep on rotation. I'm kidding, but they want to keep on. <laughs> I was going to say, are we talking like Jeff D'Amico? Who were the four? And, um, you know, that kind of lit a fire. Like, man, like I don't want to be the five spot no more because this is what happens to the five hole. You know, you 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 get looked at like this. And, um, I mean, looking back, I mean, them two starts to start a career is not bad, six and five and six and three. It's not outstanding, but, I mean, it's very understandable, you know, and when I came back, it was like I was the beneficiary of a lot of run support for that little stretch, and I won some games. And back then, winning games as a starting pitcher was a big deal, you know, and I mean, in today's era, it ain't as big, but that was a big deal then. And um, I won a bunch of games in a row, and, you know, they started believing in me and trusting in me, and that was that was kind of the uh, – Propulsion that I took getting out that five hole. What about uh, what about teammates that you've had or, or seasons? What what was one of your favorite teammates and uh, and what one of your favorite seasons playing? Because you know there were some good years in there. Uh, you know, starting an all star game or going to playoffs. Uh, Two thousand four was pretty amazing. So walk us through some of those because I'm always interested. Because when I get asked, I have to go to like ten or fifteen or thirty different players. But what's somebody that sticks out <laughs> in your mind? I like all. My, I mean, I enjoyed most of everybody. I mean, I was pretty easy to get along with. I felt like um, I like Jenkins because I played with him so much. I love Billy Hall. Ricky Weeks was mm -hmm. one of my favorite teammates. I played with just how hard he worked. You know, and people could. I, I, you hear a lot about his defense. I do worked hard on defense every day. He didn't. He didn't really take days off on defense. He went there early and did his work. And um, so was, he was somebody I always appreciated. Jamie Wright. Um, so hmm. I, I, I can't name all of them, but that was that was the ones I I liked um, individually. Oh four. You know, I really thought I was good at that year. Um, you know, um, I, I blew out my shoulder reaching back, patting myself on the back that year. I was like, man, you're pretty good. <laughs> but it's 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 always easier in that stressful world when you're doing well. Like nobody wants to talk about the stress of big leagues, but I mean it's always there. You always got to perform, and you're only as good as your last outing. And um, like '08, uh, the beginning of '08 didn't matter because it didn't end well, you know. And um, so it's 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 latest greatest, and it always will be. It's just how the world is, and it's fine. You know, but the 04 season was my was one of my favorite seasons. 08 season was a great season too. As a team, we we kind of reached what we were striving for after so many bad years. So um, it was neat seeing the it was neat seeing us add one piece to the puzzle each year. Almost, you know, the Billy Hall to the Corey Hart's to the Ricky Weeks to the Prince Fielder to the Ryan Broad. Like you could see us, real Bonnie Gar. You could see us getting better slowly. You know, and that that was a pretty cool thing.
Well, look, I just I'm looking at the numbers bench just to highlight some of those years. In 2004, you somehow ranked. Th- this is another thing in a different era, Ben. You you know you probably are in a Cy Young discussion because you you were eighth in Cy Young balloting somehow in a year you had a 270 ERA, 237 innings, and a strikeout to walk ratio of eight and a quarter strikeouts per walk, which is uh, pretty good and led the majors. Um, but it was an era where you know that win loss record. You're 12 and 14 and voters were still looking at at that um and i know look i know you're about winning too you want to win games and and that matters but um it was just a different you know different era maybe there's a cy young discussion in your career yeah, in I mean, a different randy time. johnson had a better year that year you know just on all that terms but i mean it was a good year that that maybe didn't get as much recognition as it would today's game you know um the, the whole game, like, I mean, like, the kids today are awesome. Like, I mean, I, I wish I had the stuff they had, you know, when you look at it. But whenever you start breaking it down and you start looking at the errors, man, it, all errors are different, you know. I mean, Teddy Huguer's two whatever he had strikeouts was probably more impressive than my 264 because I feel like less people struck out then, you know. Like, that 264 in today's game might be three-something because just – just the majors, I think the Brewers, like a year or two ago, averaged 10 strikeouts per nine innings as a team. You yeah. know, I mean, like we probably averaged seven as a team, you know, and just today's game. So it's, 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 it's so tricky to look at numbers and decide what would be what and all this. But I think you just got to look at the errors and what people did. Um, you know, at the time, like you said, that's how young was that. And that's just what it was, you know, and, um, I guess as time goes, we appreciate different things that don't make any error right or any error wrong. We don't really know. You know, we feel like we know, but um, I feel like the game's becoming more individualized, and I feel like that's why we got more, more even more individualized stats than we ever have before. You know, I, I feel like in the 60s, they didn't give a crap as much. They want to win. Like the 70s, they want, you know, but I feel like it's be- – I say they don't want to win, but I feel like it's becoming just more of a – more of an individualized kind of game amongst being a team game can i ben can i ask you again because you also mentioned 08 and you know look you were you got you got hurt at the end of the year you pitched an incredible duel with uh, jake peavy near the end as the brewers were trying to snap that 26 year drought um and you dueled peavy and then and then you missed the the postseason because you were hurt um but you made 31 starts that year i think that's kind of forgotten that you really pitched a lot that year um how oh i was just gonna say i mean how how much did it hurt to to not participate when they finally got to this finish line you guys have been trying to get to for your whole career yeah i mean it was something i'd always thought about i always thought just the, the, the type of pitcher i was and for some reason the ability to like in big moments opening day all-star games you know, when scouts used to come, gold medal game. I always – I don't know why, but if I was 92, 95, on them days I'd be like 94, 97. Like, I always played up a little bit. And, you know, that was something that was very fortunate. And I thought if I could just get myself to the postseason, I could have one of them postseasons, you know. And like you said, I mean, just the nature of the beast. But, I mean, if – I'll use an example. If Tim Anderson all make the playoffs and he hits well in the playoffs, like, you think that all this season's going to be forgotten? Absolutely. Nobody's going to care, mm-hmm. you know. So, a lot of that stuff don't matter unless it's when the fans want it, you know. And, um, it, unfortunately, sports don't work that way, you know. Well, if we didn't have – if the guys that had big first half didn't have big first halves, would we have got CC Sabathia? You know, would we have made that move? We'll be in position. It takes the whole team, you know, and, I mean, we made a run because we put the pieces together, you know, and it wasn't like it wanted. I mean, yeah, it'd been nice to get back Yo-Yo at the end right there and have CC myself and Giovanni pitching in the playoffs. That would have been a great, but you also played against the world champions, you know, that year. Yeah. So you don't know how to end it, but I, I, on a personal level, I wish I'd had an opportunity to, to, to play in that, but it just wasn't in the cards and um, – I'd do it all over again. I'd go try to pitch hurt. I mean, regardless if you told me I could make $100 million if I stopped pitching or not, I'd still go go out there today and still try it. It wouldn't matter to me, you know. Um, 
I never did it for the money. I didn't start playing for the money, you know, and I, I, I never really changed. It, it just, even when I quit, if you look back, my last pitch was like 95 and 96. And Mays is like, you could still play. You can get a guy who's like, I don't, like, I'm done. Like, it was over for me. Like, mentally, like, I had ran its course and I, I got out what I wanted and I enjoyed my time, but I was done with playing. I didn't want to play anymore. I'm always taken back to that spring training. Mike Maddox one year was talking about when you're done playing, you it's the proverbial bag, right? Like you have your equipment bag and he's like, when it's, you know, you play as hard as you can for as long as you can. And then when your bag's empty, you just, you pack it up and that's it, right? You just, you, and you want to walk away that way. And that, that means you did it all you could. And I don't think the bag, like some people takes it like, oh, your bag's empty. You can't do it anymore. And for me and for a lot of us, that's not the case. You see it more in football, people walking away, but that's not the case. I mean, the bag was empty of, of, of the desire to want to go do yes. that and be on the road and show up every day. And, you know, people see a 7 to 10, but you get into the clubhouse at 1230, yep. you know, at home. And you, you get into the clubhouse early on the road because you're bored. So they don't, they don't see that part of it. They don't, they don't see the kids in school, you know, and you're in a different town. They don't see all that. So for me, that was the part that I was ready to be home. I was ready to be a coach. I was ready to be around my kids and help them develop because I had that chance to grow up with my parents and helping me, you know, just get me to little league games and with no goal in mind, but I felt like my kids deserved the same opportunity. Well, that's a good segue, Ben, because we wanted to ask you about if you could tell us about your boys. Um, Brewers fans probably remember Seaver being born. Uh, Were both your kids born in Milwaukee? Uh, Miller was born in Phoenix in spring training. Okay. In 07. Seaver was born in 02 in Milwaukee. Um, Seaver had a good high school career. He led us to two state titles. He um, was a shortstop on that team. He, his junior year, he was becoming a good pitcher. He's up to like 93, which is good. He's a smaller kid. He's 5'10". Um, Auburn seen him pitch. They offered him a scholarship. He went there for a year. He blew out his elbow, really, beginning of his senior year, but played through it for two years. Um, they wanted him to pitch, and he wasn't really uh, – I mean, he tried, but, I mean, he ended up having to get his elbow fixed. He came back home. He's at ULM now. And um, he got uh, – Meister did his elbow. So he he was that reserve last year position player, but he's trying to get back on the mound. And then my youngest one, Miller's a bigger kid. Um, he's just starting to develop, so we're going to see what holds out for him. But um, – we're actually carrying now. He's going to pitch in this little event out here. But I'm proud of both of them. They're very good workers. You know, they they realize that you get out what you put into it. And um, they don't really leave any rock unturned as far as, like, what, they, what they're putting into it. Well, how about when you're done coaching them and they kind of get out of the house? What about you? You think maybe coaching in pro ball is going to be in your future? Um, I don't know. I mean – I need to. I feel like I, I, I need some time just to do nothing. I mean, when you retire, it gets busier. People don't believe it, but it's it, it's true. Um, I love coaching. Um, I don't know what level I love coaching, you know, because I like dealing with the youth and maybe chasing your dreams. But I don't really know. I haven't really really thought about it, you know. Maybe I'll coach a summer league team, college or something to start. I I, I don't know. I mean. I love being around the game, and I want Seaver to be around the game. I know he's probably not going to be a pro player, but, I mean, maybe he could work for a team in a front office or an agency. I mean, there's so many opportunities to, you know, for people like him to get back in the game, and he he, he understands kind of the game and the business and what it's like, to, how, to, how you're supposed to act. And um, I don't know, it's really, it's really neat when your kid gets to grow up in a clubhouse, you know, that they get to see all that kind of stuff. Ben, did you ever find any good Cajun food in Milwaukee? Um, absolutely not. But <laughs> well, hey, but but I'm not I'm not picky either. Milwaukee's got good food. And I found something to eat there. You know. Here's the other thing I wanted to ask you about: the pitchers don't have to hit anymore. Uh, would you welcome that during your career, or did you like hitting because you you know you like to go up there and try to hit that first homer? No. I hate it, bat. I mean, I never liked bat. <laughs> like bat when I was little, my mom used to get on me because I didn't take BP at practice. I hated it. Did not want to bat, but I like facing the pitcher in the lineup. So, 
Um, I don't know how I feel about it. What about the what about the rules with the pitch clock? <laughs> if that was going on when you were throwing, is it is would it help you? Would it hurt you? Or no consequence? Mattered if you look back. I mean, it wouldn't matter. I pitched so damn quick, and I mean, and I I I, I pitched quick. I pitched quick because I didn't want to think about it. I mean, I like it. I enjoy it, like watching a game with a pitch clock because it it's it it keeps the game moving. I mean, football's got a play clock, basketball's got a shot clock. You know, it's it's made for TV, in my opinion. You know, um, we went how we went last year to two games, and I want to say two, both nine inning games. One went like four hours and six minutes. The other ones went like three hours and fifty six minutes. You, you know, that's a that's a long game to sit there. Yeah, we always liked when you pitched. You you had a couple of teammates who do, let's say took their time. Yeah, and, Doug uh, D. Huh? Doug Doug Davis <laughs> liked to take his time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, I guess he figures you only got one career. You know, might as well enjoy it. Take your time, enjoy it. Well, Ben, we need to let we need to let you go, and we just appreciate the stories, and we appreciate. I'm sure people just love hearing your voice again because uh, it's been a little bit. So um, let's say it again. August 26th is when you're going to be in Milwaukee to be inducted into the Walk of Fame. That's the day after, by the way. Sabathia is coming back on the 25th to throw a first pitch. Oh, that's cool. What's he so coming back for? A, just to come and visit. Oh, that's awesome. Good for him. 15 years since um, that, that 08 season that everybody remembers. So congratulations from Tim and I both. You, you deserve this. It's been, should have been hap should have happened a long time ago, but we're glad it's happening for you now. And uh, right. appreciate it a lot. All right, Ben, uh, we thanks for visiting us on Brewers Unfiltered Saturday, August 26th tickets available for, I think both of those games, 25th and 26th. If you want to come out and see, CC Sabathia and Ben Sheets, see if they can still get up to 95 or so on that. Make sure the radar gun is on for the first pitch. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Sheeter. Right, man. Have a great week. Thanks so much to Ben Sheets for, for sharing his time with Adam and Tim. What a great conversation. We hope you guys enjoyed it. And again, don't forget that Walk of Fame ceremony will be Saturday, August 26th against the San Diego Padres. And also don't forget that CC Sabathia is returning to Milwaukee and that will be Friday, August 25th, uh, just commemorating the anniversary of that incredible trade back in 2008, uh, what CC Sabathia did after that, and of course, finally ending that 26-year playoff drought in 2008. So a lot happening uh, when we get back here from this road trip, but thanks for checking in with us on Brewers Unfiltered. Make sure you're following along on all of the uh, at Brewers social platforms and We'll talk to you back home in Milwaukee.